0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Shit You Don't Learn in School podcast. This is Calvin Rosser.
1: And this is Steph Smith. Today, we will be talking about individual contributors and leaders or managers, the differences between the two, the tracks that people have in their careers, and maybe what we could do differently. So I want to start by sharing a story of mine, which really has to do with this cycle I've experienced in my career, which is I'll generally enter a company as an individual contributor. The first tech company I joined as a growth lead, I did a lot of the growth work. I was managing growth channels. And the next evolution of that was, okay, let's hire more people because we're growing and maybe you can manage some of them. I did a little bit of that. And then naturally, Another opportunity came, which was leading an even bigger team. I led a publications team, which was around 20 people. By that point, I was doing so little individual contributing. I really was a fully-fledged manager. At some point, I decided I actually like doing things. I like getting my hands dirty. So I joined a new company as an individual contributor again. But what I recently noticed is I went through that trajectory again, where I started something, I built it up. Because it was growing, we hired more people. I naturally was the one who ended up managing those people. And then all of a sudden, I found myself in this role where I'm, again, mostly managing and not contributing very much. And it just dawned on me that some companies are better at this than others. But most of the time, if you're a really great individual contributor, not necessarily putting myself in that bucket, but if you are a great individual contributor, the cycle normally goes where you build something, if you build it well, tends to grow. And if it tends to grow, you tend to need to hire and bring in more help. The person they normally rely on to manage those people is you. And then you end up actually not even being an individual contributor anymore, which may be what you're really great at. You end up being a leader. And that just tends to be the natural trajectory within a company. And something that it reminds me of is of course, life is not as defined as this, but something I've noticed within companies and the people I work with is there tends to be a spectrum of what I would call more so the visionary. And then on the other side of the spectrum, someone who's more like an operator and people fit somewhere along that spectrum. But often I find that people who are visionaries, again, they build things up and then they're expected to become these operators or managers. Whereas I feel like maybe people can learn one way or the other, but Perhaps we're actually migrating people away from what they're best at. Do you have any thoughts around that?
0: I think I'd start to say that I have a different experience. I think I've worked at a few more companies and some of them led to management roles, but then other ones just stayed as individual contributor roles. So I don't think it's necessarily a natural evolution that someone goes from an individual contributor, which I'm gonna start calling an IC from now for shorthand, though that is the more common path. I think what's really interesting about this is lots of people who are good ICs before they've been managers think that they want to be managers and they naturally see, I want to be a manager so that I can start leading a team, stop doing all the BS work and maybe get paid more for doing that too. I find that a lot of people, once they get into a management role, realize that it's not as glorious as they think it is. You have all these people problems you need to deal with. You're not actually getting your hands as dirty as you once were. You may actually find that you were much happier when you had more control over the work and someone else was taking care of the logistics, admin, management, and all the other things that come with being a leader slash manager. I think one way for companies to think about this is to just understand, does someone want to continue in the company as an IC or do they want to become a manager and to create their tracks and career plans accordingly to the extent that the company does do that type of thing?
1: What I find interesting though is, so some companies, even HubSpot, the company I work for, they do have two different paths. One is for an IC and one is for the leader-manager But something that I've noticed, and I'm not going to speak directly to HubSpot in this case, but I find that a lot of companies either don't even have that IC path, or if they do, it really maxes out, it taps out, at a point that tends to be lower, at least monetarily, than the manager path. And so it just naturally incentivizes people, even if they're excellent ICs and maybe even world class, you know, people talk about these like 10X, 100X, 1000X employees. It may even fit into that bucket, but they may be getting maxed out in terms of how far they can progress within the company along that IC route. And so they naturally just are like, okay, I guess it's time to be a manager. And I wonder if that's the best approach
0: it's definitely difficult because managers in theory can provide more value by supporting a large number of ICs. And so they have more leverage and therefore you might be able to pay them more. And then there's also this thing of hierarchy where people with more senior positions, you can give them more money without that being something that's controversial. So I think it is tricky if you are to develop true manager IC routes and to make them equal. That said... I think at my last company, I was mostly in IC and the managers definitely got paid more, but I never really wanted their jobs. And if things opened up, I wasn't necessarily gunning for their jobs just because of the pay. I just knew that I wanted to stay in the IC role and that was a a trade-off that I was willing to accept. So I don't know that you need to equalize the salaries per se, but I do think having defined paths is a useful thing for people and to walk them through what it takes to move up on each path.
1: I know that you have been in a leadership role before, so maybe you have that experience or that perspective to say, I don't really want to be in that role, but I do think you're right that early on in careers, we're almost expected to, or we think we want to be leaders. We think that's something that we should aspire to be. And in many cases, that's true, but in some cases it's not. And I think it is important for people to try different things out and then have the perspective as to what they're great at. Like you can break things down and this is a simplistic framework, but just say there's stages of companies or there are people that are really great at taking companies from zero to one. Some people are really great at taking that company and scaling it from one to 10. And then some people are really good at scaling that and like really defining processes and operations from 10 to 100, let's say. And I think figuring out where you thrive, like where you really enjoy doing the work, where you want to show up is important because that's something that I'm reflecting on now where I'm still figuring out what I want to do next and where I want to fit into things, but I'm finding myself for the second time in my career, starting out at zero to one, then moving one to 10. And then now emerging into this like 10 to hundred space and wondering, do I want to be here? Not necessarily at the company per se, but more so in the types of things that I'm working on and what my role is defined as today.
0: I think that makes sense. Have you heard of the Peter principle?
1: I heard about it today after I tweeted about this concept, but it's my first time encountering it. So Why don't you share what it is for people listening?
0: I'm not an expert on this by any means, but I think it's just a general principle that there's a hierarchy that people generally ascend, and they will ascend to the point until they're incompetent in that role. So just to give you an example of that, let's say that someone joins the team as a customer service representative, and then they move over, say, to the sales team because they want to actually talk to clients, and then they get to the point where they want to be a manager of the team, it may be that person doesn't have the skills or disposition or even the drive to be the manager of the team. So they won't be promoted at that point. And that may be really frustrating for that individual. But essentially, people rise to their level until the point in which they're incompetent, because at that level, they're not doing as well as they were in prior levels. So they don't actually have the fodder to leverage for getting the promotion.
1: I think what I find so interesting about this concept is that what ends up happening, whether it's in a job or otherwise is we discover people who are great and then we just keep pushing them up, you know, in a career at the hierarchy to be like, okay, do more and do more. And I think the Peter principle has an element where it's basically like we push someone until they reach the level of incompetence because we're always trying to extract more out of them. And I think it reminds me of that quote where it says, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And You see the same thing happen with celebrities, right? People idolize them and then they idolize them even more and then even more and even more. And then all of a sudden they crash and burn <laughs> to some extent. And I think what's important is again, the self-awareness where you can be great. You can perhaps be the most valuable person in a company, but realize what you're great at and realize when you're being pushed in a direction that maybe doesn't even make sense. I think that takes a lot of self-awareness because again, we're going to be naturally incentivized by a hierarchy and wanting to ascend up that we're going to be naturally incentivized by monetization of that hierarchy. And Sometimes it is interesting to go test and explore new things, but I think once you've explored it, it is important to have this self-awareness of things that may be driving you that aren't necessarily the best for you.
0: How do you go about cultivating that self-awareness? I know for me personally, I wanted to be a manager until the point at which I was a manager. <laughs> and it's not that I wouldn't maybe want to be in that role at some point again, but I just realized I was much happier being an individual contributor with very early stage companies and only working on projects for at max three to six months. I like just getting stuff off the ground. And then once it's repeatable or I can hire someone to take it over, I usually like to do that and move on to the next thing, which is really not that conducive towards a manager management type of role. And that just so happens to be where I like to thrive.
1: I think it's not easy. And I find myself, like I said, I'm in this kind of second cycle of something that I had already experienced before. So I think you know there, there are some lessons that you need to teach yourself multiple times over. And then of course, no situation is exactly the same. So you do have to try certain things out. But then I think the piece that I would convey here is that as you're trying things out, just pay attention to what actually gets you excited and not so much how big your paycheck is or what title you get to put on your LinkedIn, but more so am I excited to do this work to And that's something that I had realized years ago when I was leading this 20 person team is I'm not excited to show up to work. And again, this sounds like a fluffy thing to say, like, how excited are you for work? But there have been times because I also thrive in this earlier stage environment where I'm like, I am stoked to build this thing. And I am stoked to see how it grows. And when you fall out of that, or when I have in the past, it is recognizable if you are paying attention and really asking yourself the right questions.
0: I think one of the bad externalities or byproducts of this system where we just continually ascend the ladder until we're at the level of incompetence is you can keep pushing for more. And then as you mentioned, at a place where you're not even that happy and you got everything you want, but you're not happy, or the company can keep promoting you to the point where you're in a role that doesn't really align with what you like, and then you end up leaving the company. I have yet to see a company that does a really good job of helping people understand what tracks they may want to be on and what the opportunities are. I still think that companies have a a ton of room to grow in that area. And it's not always possible to move people from ICs to management role. I would say there's a lot more ICs that want to be managers than managers that want to be ICs. That's just, there's fewer managers.
1: That's true. But I also do wonder if it's because of the incentive structures that exist where it is not easy to be a manager, get paid a certain amount, to have a certain title and to be viewed a certain way within a company and to say, you know what, this is all great, but I really like creating things. Sam, the founder of The Hustle who I've reported to for a while, he's really great at this, but I haven't interacted with many other leaders who are like, you know what, I built up this company or I built up this team and I actually think someone would be better at operating this now. So I don't know. I also think another part of this is we've talked about this individual contributor track and this is really hard to do. And I also have not seen a company do it effectively, but relate this to sports. When I tweeted about this earlier, someone was like, you know what? I think about this all the time. You wouldn't ask a 2021 NBA MVP to quit playing in 2022 in order to coach. But we see that kind of stuff happening in business. And when I think about sports, you do wonder, LeBron is not paid double what another player is paid. LeBron is paid significantly more because they realize he is an all-star. Now it's really hard to tangibly identify who the all-stars are on your team sometimes and to determine how much more they should get paid. But I really do think if you have an incredibly talented IC, companies should figure out a way to reward them without forcing them up that hierarchy.
0: It seems like the simplest way to do that, although I'm not sure you can do it for all roles, is just to develop performance-based compensation plans. Because a tricky thing with ICs is companies often have bans based on your level of seniority. So if you're paying one outsized impact, I see way more than someone else that may be perceived as really unfair. But if you tie it to performance, then they're naturally going to get rewarded for their efforts. I want to introduce another framework that is related here. There's a book by Michael Gerber, I believe, called The E-Myth Revisited. And it introduces this concept that lots of people who are craftsmen and women, or he calls them technicians. So let's say like a freelance designer who's really passionate about design and good at design or a developer. They often develop this idea that they want to go start a business. They don't want to be a freelancer. They want to run an agency. What ends up happening for some percentage of these people is they go and they try to start the agency and they realize what does an agency come with? It comes with managing people. It comes with closing your books at the end of the month. It comes with all kinds of other things that you need to do as you scale a company. And it turns out that the technician really loved the craft that they were doing, but they hate being a manager. And in fact, they end up doing pretty poorly at it and aren't able to scale companies because they should have just stayed as a technician in the first place. And that reminds me of the same thing between ICs and managers or leaders within companies where people actually go pursue something that in the end makes them unhappy because they don't understand what it is that they actually like doing.
1: It not only takes the passion away or the love for the craft, but I also think there's this element of what made you a great IC is being diluted over time. What made you even build something that could grow and then could hire people under it was that you were great at building things, right? You're great at creating things from the ground up. And as you ascend that ladder, you're doing much less of that over time to the extent that at some point you're probably doing none of that. So I just think it's this kind of strange thing that you take what people are best at and then make them do something that's counter to what they're really talented at.
0: That's true. Although I do think that there are people who could be good at both the manager and IC stuff. And it's just a natural progression for them. And they end up happy in that elevated role and didn't actually want to keep building things, even if they were good at it. So there's probably many cases of that too.
1: Absolutely. I think people can also learn some of these roles, but I do think it's interesting that we have a pretty predefined path in most companies that goes one way and doesn't tend to go the other. And like I said, I think there's a part of ego that just for most people, myself included, really struggle to go in the reverse direction once they've made their way up.
0: So what are the key takeaways?
1: I think one of the key things for me is, of course, nothing is binary, but there really is a skill set that certain people tend to really thrive with. And Sometimes that's an individual contributor. Sometimes that's a leader. Sometimes it is both. Sometimes it's neither. But I think recognizing where you really thrive, and especially if you happen to fit into that individual contributor bucket and where you really thrive, just pay attention to that and pay attention to the natural pull to maybe ascend up the ladder. And there's nothing wrong with that if you choose to do that. But it's just something that I've, at least in my career, found really cyclical where, again, I'll start something, it'll grow, I'll make my way up to management, and then I'll realize, wait, I actually really like building things and I'll climb my way back down and then it'll happen again. And Maybe this will just continue to happen throughout my career, but I think it's something for people to pay attention to.
0: One practical tip is being an IC at a small company is very different from being an IC at a larger company, or it can be in many cases. So if you really enjoy individual contributor work, it might be worth actually going to a very early stage company because you get tons of responsibility. You get say in the decisions, you get autonomy, you get a lot of the things that you lose when you join a larger company as an IC. And so you may get that nice balance of not having to manage people, but you still get the influence in addition to the ability to just work on things heads down and and really build from the ground up. And that's what I found as well is I don't think I would join a big company unless my circumstances changed in some dramatic way. And that's just because I think being an IC at a really small company is really rewarding for many reasons.
1: It reminds me of episode episode number seven about building a rewarding career and this framework that you thought of the five different salaries where it's just important to keep in mind that as you're choosing a job and this doesn't even have to be a new company, it can be within the same company, you're getting a promotion and you're deciding whether you want to enter this new leadership role. Absolutely no problem if you want that, but just keep in mind that every role is not just a function of its title and its salary. One of the other aspects to always keep in mind is Are you actually enjoying the work that you do? And are you excited to wake up every day and get involved?
0: Yeah, we talked about uh, making career transitions as well. And one of the key markers for me is if I'm going through a period of many months where I'm not that jazzed about work, I start thinking about how can I change things within that job? And then if those efforts don't work, I decide to leave and find something else. Just to reintroduce the five salaries that you were referring to, there's the financial, psychological, social, educational, and freedom. And I think what happens when you become a manager is you may get more of a financial salary and you may get more of a social salary, which would be prestige, increased job title, but you can end up losing on the psychological salary. So the meaning you get from your work because you're not as connected to it, and then potentially even your freedom, which is your ability to work on your own terms, you're actually more at the whims of the people you manage because you need to take care of them and make sure they're doing a good job. Depending on what levers you want to pull with your salaries, that's where those transitions can be sometimes harmful for what you want.
1: And just a reminder, that was episode number seven. If you are interested in learning more about the five salaries, anything else you want to add, Calvin?
0: No, I think we should leave it there.
1: All right. Well, this was the shit you don't learn in school podcast. You can find me at Steph Smith IO on Twitter.
0: You can find me at Calvin underscore Rosser on Twitter. And until next time, listeners,
1: as always, thanks for listening.